Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, as we wrap our series on Hispanic heritage in the NFL, we focus on history makers that would lead their teams to Super Bowls on the field and wearing a whistle. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, you already know it's Tuesday night. I have my notes. Yeah, this works. Hey, right, welcome in, historians and lovers of sports history, NFL historians, that is. Uh, this show is for you guys and gals. Again, we always say this. If this is your first time listening to the show, look, if you already know this stuff, cool, all right? This show, I mean, stay. Please stay and nod your head. Yes, yep, I knew that. Yeah, I, I knew all about that. Yep. But congratulations to you, but there's always someone else who does not. So this show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So I'm here to do three things. That is enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports and Belly Up Media. The Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. BellyUpSports.com. Go to it. Click on it. And check out all of our shows and our merch. The writers, we got some great writers in there. And you catch our shows, especially this one, on our home base of Megaphone. Yeah, just like the cheerleaders use, Megaphone. And also the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. And we have shows also on YouTube. I'm not there yet, so don't get confused. I don't want to mislead you. All right, so all right, we're getting ready to get this thing going. So what was the focus on week seven? Week 7 in the NFL. If you don't know what the rundown is, it's our quick synopsis of every game played during the NFL week. We had National Tight Ends Day on Sunday. A couple of Super Bowl contenders fall. And Bill Belichick joined the coaching land of 300. Let's go. Week 7, the rundown. Thursday night football, Jags at Saints. This game was a lot like a track meet. Big lead, you know, you're coasting, and then somebody catches you from behind. And then you got to... You know, speed up, say, ah, right, go ahead and finish this this race and win it. 
And speaking of running, y'all remember when Trevor Lawrence, for you college football fans out there, when he was playing for Clemson, and he ran for like 127 yards in that BCS playoff game against Ohio State? I had no idea the guy could run like that. And that was the story of that game that they won. And then you fast forward to Thursday night, he's doing it again on the knee that he had twisted the week before in a win against Indy. And then he leaves the Jags in rushing only 59 yards on Thursday night. ETN got off to a great start until that Saints defense, you know, <laughs> buckled, buckled down. But other than that, look, I think the guy was okay. But the New Orleans Saints fans, they booed the offense and the defense every chance they got. They did kind of stink. And this is even with Drew Brees being in the house. He's in the building. But look, I guess it worked to a degree. The Saints tied the score at 24. The Jags, they kind of let their plates sit too long like the kid at the dinner table that lets his food get cold because he stopped eating. And then, you know, at one point, the Jaguars only had 30 yards in the second half. But they took the lead back with only two plays, and using only two plays. Derek Carr, who's been grabbing his groin the entire game, seems like, he almost hits Foster Moreau. He hits him right in the hands in the end zone. The ball comes off his hands for a potential game-tying touchdown. And that was it. They couldn't convert on fourth down. That was the ball game. Jaguars 31, Saints 24. Sunday, National Tight Ends Day. Yes, National Tight Ends Day. That was great. Noon slate, Raiders, Bears. Yep, I didn't see that coming. And maybe I should have. Brian Hoyer, who started over Aiden O'Connell. This is since Jimmy Garoppolo still not ready. The guy hasn't won a game since 2016. My bad. I even grabbed and started the Raiders defense in fantasy because the Bears were starting Tyson Badgett. I mean, I didn't know who this guy was. Tyson, excuse me, I said his name wrong. Tyson Bajan. Yeah, secret Bajan man. Yeah. Shepherd University. I mean, he won the Harlan Hill Trophy in 2021. And, you know, it's the Division II Heisman. 53 touchdown passes, you know, that uh, 2021 season. So he was pretty good, at least on the Division II level. He showed us a little bit of that on Sunday. 65 family and friends were at the game. They saw his first NFL touchdown pass. And, uh, you know, Devontae, Deontay Foreman, who's been bounced around like a tennis ball from team to team, he scores. You know, he has a great fantasy day, right? One of three touchdowns that Foreman scores was from Tyson Bajan. But the Raiders, they're on the struggle bus. Jacob only 35, Jacobs only 35 yards rushing. Devontae Adams, I need more targets. Yeah, they hit him seven times. He only had 57 yards. Jacoby Myers had about the same, and he scored the only touchdown. And, uh, you know, oh, Hoyer, he threw two picks. It was pulled. O'Connell comes in, and, uh, I mean, it was too far gone by then. Bears 30, Raiders 12. Browns, Colts, great back-and-forth game. Showed the greatness of the Browns' defense, and also that Jonathan Taylor still has it. Deshaun Watson gets hurt again. He's hurt again, and then he's cleared. But then head coach Kevin Stefanski decides to stick with P.J. Walker. It's like, is that rotator cuff? Is the rotator cuff still hurt? Is, is it still that? I, I mean, AC joint, whatever is going on with the guy, he probably is going to need a little bit more time to heal. And speaking of quarterbacks, on the other side, Gardner Minshew had another bad game. In spite of the back-and-forth fashion, imagine if he didn't have four turnovers. Some of it wasn't his fault. Three fumbles, one interception. 
Browns defensive end, Miles Garrett, made sure he got two of those forced fumbles himself. And he's pushing for defensive player of the year to go along with the two sacks he had and the nine tackles. But he thought that last touchdown drive by the Colts, that was going to be the game with you know, the defense. They recovered a P.J. Walker sack fumble. And the only problem was the Colts' backup corner, Daryl Baker Jr.'s illegal contact call and then the pass interference. And some people are going to question some of that, uh, <laughs> those calls by the ref every week. And this week was kind of the spotlight was on some people. But anyway, they put the ball in the one and the touchdown Kareem Hunt. Minshew fumbled on the last drive. That was it with that game. Browns 39, Colts 38. Bills, Patriots, the Bills were due. They were. Yeah, I, and I do mean the Bills were due. Payment was due. Their offense still struggling a little bit. And it showed up again on Sunday um, before a 15-point outburst in the fourth quarter. Wasn't too much to talk about. The most exciting play the Bills had was Josh Allen's pass to Stephon Diggs, who caught the ball, slide to the ground, gets up before he's touched, and he puts two defensive backs in the spin cycle and scores. Thank you. You know, he's my fantasy receiver. But uh, they're too Josh Allen dependent. And they're not running the football like they were last year. And it, that just kind of hurts a little bit. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Ken Dorsey, if you saw what happened against Miami, funniest thing I've ever seen in my life in a booth, how Ken Dorsey was beating up and, and pretty much trashing the booth after that game. Probably did the same thing. The camera just wasn't on. Mac Jones, he delivers the game-winning touchdown pass on National Tight Ends Day. Both his tight ends, Hunter Henry and Mike Gusecki, had important receptions on that fourth-quarter drive. They scored with 12 seconds left, and Gusecki, who's the recipient of that touchdown pass, has the worst gritty on earth, I, bar none, at least in the NFL. They got Belichick his 300th career regular season win, and he joins Don Shula and George Hallis in NFL history, the only three guys with 300 regular season wins. Patriots, 29, Bills, 25, Commanders, Giants. Again, I must say, for two weeks in a row, love those retro Giants uniforms. Reminds me of Super Bowl 21. That's just me. Darren Waller, tight end for the Giants. Great day for him. Seven catches and a touchdown, almost 100 yards. Saquon Barkley, he also scores on a touchdown pass from Tyrod Taylor. And if you're a Giants fan, you know that's good because the Giants offense hadn't scored in more than 14 quarters. That's bad. Washington's offense disappeared. So, I mean, I think the Giants defense had a little something to do with that. Six sacks on Sam Howell. Picked him off as well. And, uh, you know, the one touchdown the Commanders actually scored was off a of Sterling Shepard muffed punt. Short field. Mm. Giants 14, Commanders 7. Falcons, Buccaneers. I mean, how many times am I going to say this? It seems like every week I'm saying this. Falcons kicker Young Ho Koo has a habit of kicking game winners. And again, Atlanta found a way on Sunday. Desmond Ritter, their quarterback, though, yeah, he ran for a touchdown in the fourth quarter, but my guy is a turnover machine. Forget the completion percentage. You know, forget that. I mean, he had another National Titans Day memory because my man Kyle Pitts with the behind the back catch, that was awesome. But, I mean, he lost three fumbles in the red zone. And the first player in 45 seasons to do that, according to Elias Sports Bureau. Fantasy owners, they were furious with the Falcons. Bijan Robinson, I think most people said he was like, uh, he was supposed to, he was, 
he was set to score about 16 points. You know, you got the, you know, the, you know, the projections, right? But this dude only played six plays and had one carry for three yards on the final drive. That was it. Was he sick? Was he hurt? Well, he said he had a headache, you know, but he wasn't on the injury report. NFL was looking into that. Tampa Bay, on the other hand, they continue to stroll in the running game. They, you know, they need to go grab somebody, but it's not good. If you know Baker Mayfield's history, he has no business throwing the ball 42 times. I, I love the guy now, but you can't throw the football that many times. And they still almost came back in a really, really low scoring game. They tied the score at 13. Young Hoku put the Buccaneers out of their misery, and they're in first place in the NFC South for now. Falcons 16, Buccaneers 13. Well, well, Lions Ravens, as a Steelers fan, I was happy to see Terrell Suggs go. T Sizzle shows up Sunday. It was his day to be inducted into the Baltimore Ravens Ring of Honor. Congratulations. But as far as the game goes, I'm not going to go too crazy on this one. Yes, the Lions got the beats in Baltimore. Yes, Lamar Jackson torched that defense 357 yards passing. Yes, Detroit's defense gave up about 60 yards per game, something like that. Going into that game, they surrendered 146 on Sunday. And I think they got most of that in in the first half. And yes, I heard the complaints of too many field goals. I think they heard those complaints, the Ravens, and uh, they kicked one in the fourth quarter. Good job. Oh, how about Mark Andrews, National Titans Day? He had four catches and two touchdowns. And the Baltimore offense, 503 yards on the day. But the defense was just as impressive. Jared Goff, no touchdowns, sacked five times, and they put hands on Goff eight times. So nothing else the Lions can learn from this game. Ravens 38, Lions 6. Afternoon slate, Steelers, Rams. All right, highlights, they belong to the Rams at least early. They were favored to win this game anyway. But Pittsburgh seems to win all of these games that they're not supposed to in the most ugly fashion possible. They do. Uh, The Rams offensively, moving the ball a little bit. Puka Nakua, he continues his great season, setting some records there. You know, Cooper Cup only caught two balls as opposed to Nakua's eight. I think the Steelers' defense had something to do with that. That's where focus may have been, but not to mention, no Kyron Williams. They still ran for 135 yards on the ground. Pittsburgh had that seven-point lead in the fourth quarter. 224 left. They run the quarterback sneak on fourth and one from the Rams' 38-yard line. Pick it. He tries to sneak. Looks like he's a little bit short. The Rams have no timeouts. They can't challenge. The refs measure first down Pittsburgh. McVay's route, his mouth was wide open. He could not believe it. (laughs) It's like, are you serious? Was that a generous final fourth down? Probably so, but don't put yourself in that position to begin with. Don't miss these long 50-yard field goals and give Pittsburgh good field goal, I mean, field position. Don't miss extra points. That got your kicker released. Brett Maher, I think today, was released. Don't throw interceptions to T.J. Watt, who's pretending to be a cornerback. Furthermore, Rams defense, Pittsburgh had three points and 91 yards in the first half. One thing about coaching I learned is that the best coaches know how to adjust in the second half. And in the second half, 21 points, Pittsburgh scored. Yeah, they were all rushing touchdowns. In one day, Kenny Pickett will have back-to-back multi-touchdown pass days. Throw at least two. Give me two or three weeks in a row, Kenny. 
I'm still waiting as a fan. Steelers 24, Rams 17. Cardinals, Seahawks, look, this is simple. Geno Smith was better this week. Kenneth Walker III was great. And you got two rookie wide receivers for Seattle with their first NFL touchdown receptions of their careers. Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jake Bobo. That was all great for Seattle, but bad for me. I got DK Metcalf on my fantasy team. I got the beats myself in my fantasy game. It's one of those I didn't have anybody left to, to put in the slots, and I had too many people on by uh, and, and had another couple guys that was hurt. There was nobody in the free agent pool that I could pull. Just what that was what it was. And uh, DK misses the first game of his NFL career. So big, big fat zero in that flex position for me. Not much to say about the Cardinals, except they're on their way to a top five pick at one and six, and it doesn't get any easier. They've got Baltimore next week. Fal uh, excuse me, not Falcons, Seahawks. Wrong bird. Seahawks 20, Cardinals 10, Packers, Broncos. The story of the game was that the Broncos nearly blew another lead. Sean Payton was not happy about those questions with a reporter, and he's like, well, well, you had 10 games that were almost blown. Well, I, I wasn't a head coach for, you know, all of those 10 games. Well, you were a coach for three of them. And he wanted to wave off the question. But, look, they, they came through. Russ, uh, Russell Wilson, um, he played all right. Packer running back Aaron Jones with the hammy. You know, worked his way back on the field, and uh, he was decent. A.J. Dillon got the bulk of the work for the Packers. Jordan Love was okay until that last, you know, at the end of the game. They was only down two points. Kareem Jackson got the boot for the second time his, this season for an illegal hit. If you watch old NFL films, that was fine. Nowadays, you really can't hit anybody. You hit him too hard. That that hit was not bad. It just wasn't. I'm sorry. I, I just I cannot. I can't say that. Okay. And he got what a four-game suspension. Thanks to Derek Brooks, it was reduced to just two. All right. But um, his sub. Kareem Jackson's sub, P.J. Locke, got his first career interception at the perfect time that sealed the game. Funniest part was Packers corner Razul Douglas. He was upset because his team lost to Denver. Yeah, he was saying it without saying it. They suck, and we're better than them, and we lost to them. Well, you came in with two wins yourself, boss. Yeah, you're not that good either. Broncos 19, Packers 17. Chargers Chiefs, of course, Taylor Swift. She's in the house to see her boyfriend on National Tight Ends Day, and she's hamming it up and, and chest bumping and handshaking with Patrick Mahomes' wife. And uh, Kelsey, he catches 12 balls and uh, 179 yards and has a, a really nice touchdown. He's backing it up into the end zone with the whole defense trying to knock the ball out of his hands. And uh, that touchdown pass from Mahomes that he caught was, you know, they became the, fifth, the fourth quarterback tight end combo with 50 touchdown passes. And that was one of four on the day for Mahomes to go along with a 424-yard day. Pretty good. As for the Chargers, one of those games, they were shut out in the second half. Kansas City was one of those games, Kansas City scores, then they tie. Kansas City kicks a field goal, they kick a field goal. And then the grocery bag fell out on the way to the car. I mean, second in the second half. Five sacks on Justin Herbert, two interceptions. Maybe it gets better next week. Sunday night football against the Bears. Chiefs 31, Chargers 17. Sunday night football, Dolphins, Eagles. Well, Eagles look great in that Kelly Green. I thought Clyde Simmons, Fred Barnett, and Randall Cunningham were going to come out there on the field. But, I mean, it, but the question I had going into that game was who was going, which defense was going to break first. It would be the Dolphins. 
especially since Xavier Howard and, of course, Jalen Ramsey not been on the field. Okay, so you know why the Dolphins lost this game? Yeah, they lost. If you don't know, yes, they lost the game. Of course, they lost the game. But Darius Slay's, was it Darius Slay's interception of Tua on that potential game-tying drive? Was it the brotherly shoves on fourth down? Was it the big pass play from Hurts to A.J. Brown that led to that game-sealing touchdown run spinning off the tackles from Kenneth Gainwell? No. It was where Miami outscored Philadelphia in one department. Penalties. Ten penalties for Miami. Zip for Philly. Ten to nothing. The Dolphins D, they got some sacks on Jalen Hurts. Four. They forced two turnovers. They got a scoop and score. But the Philadelphia defense was the one that really stepped up. They held Miami to one offensive touchdown. Pretty good game for Alabama-Georgia kind of reunion. I would say Bulldogs 31, Crimson Tide 17, but that's pushing it. Eagles 31, Dolphins 17. Monday Night Football, final game of Week 7. <laughs> 49ers go into Minnesota against the Vikings. No Debo, no Trent Williams. I'm pretty sure they could have used both of them. But it was the Jordan Addison show. He had over, he had a career night on Monday Night Football. <laughs> Javarius Ward stole one from Jordan Addison in the first half. And, you know, he looked like he had a catch and he took it from him. Ward, the cornerback for San Francisco, took it from him. And then Addison returns the favor right before halftime scores. And there's seven seconds left to go before half on a 60-yarder that really, really did in the San Francisco 49ers. And it doesn't help when you get that first interception from Ward and then McCaffrey fumbles the football. That doesn't help. Minnesota with a 17-7 halftime lead. National tight ends day, TJ Hawkinson and George Kittle, who worked together in the offseason. That's a pretty good days. Um, but uh, Kirk Cousins was freaking amazing. The Vikings had depended on him solely for offense. Just ask Josh Allen about that. Uh, and they had 450 yards, 53 yards of total offense. This is without Justin Jefferson. And Cousins, 378 yards of that came from his arm. And they actually ran the ball a little bit too. Fourth quarter though, you know, they had the little lead, five point lead. Greg Joseph misses a big field goal from 50. Uh-oh, could we see something happen just like the Steelers-Rams game? Not so. 49ers got the ball back, no timeouts, but Cameron Bynum, who got his second pick off of Brock Purdy, uh, <laughs> sealed the game. 49ers lose their second in the world, and, uh, you know, forgot about this. San Francisco had zero sacks. Vikings 22, 49ers 17. Coming up next, we wrap our short series on Hispanic heritage in NFL history. Viva la Super Bowl. So I had a, a nice little list, you know, when I first decided to do this Hispanic Heritage Month show. And, you know, last week, as I grabbed my, my notes from last week, you know, we started with the Hispanic Roots, which was actually the name of the show. We talked about the actual um, first Hispanic player in NFL history, Lou Moliné. Then we went to the brothers Rodriguez, Jess Rodriguez and Kelly Rodriguez. And we talked about Waldo Don Carlos. We talked about Ricardo Rick Caceres, who played for the Bears and, and, and many others. But they kind of set the stage and set the tone for the Latinos that will come after them. I told you last week, you got these guys like the Chris Olaves, 
the Fred Warners of the world, you know, that will go on and play uh, in the NFL, you know, that right now. Um, somebody had to be first and someone had to set a bar. And it was is is really, really good to recognize that. And as I said last week, we talked so much about minorities being in sports and talk about the NFL. The focus is always on African-American first and stuff like that. And there are other nationalities we're going to uh, want, we're going to get to those. But it's Hispanic Heritage Month. Of course, it was over, I think, what, October the 15th is the 24th now. Um, but I want to make sure that I work this stuff in because it needed to be taught. It needed to be said. It needed to be put out there. And then, like I said, I got a couple more players, including another coach. And this is where I'm, I'm going to stop here because there's many others. There's, there's more history to this. But uh, I think that it was really interesting how this show actually came together because all of these players kind of overlapped that we're going to talk about. You know, when you go into the 60s, into the 70s and 80s, and you see how it set the tone for things to come, um, how the, all of these players and this one coach overlapped. And speaking of coaches, kick the music. You had Hall of Famer, Bud Grant. We did a show back when he passed away earlier this year. Uh, Bud Grant was uh, pretty good <laughs> as a wide receiver with the Philadelphia Eagles. And he started off in the NFL, and then he ended up, because they didn't want to pay him what he was worth, he goes to the CFL, plays for Winnipeg, and eventually goes on to be their head coach from 1957 to 1956. And he's one of the guys that was put in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame as a coach, and, and he was a great player as well. Minnesota comes calling, Max Winter. They want to replace their coach at the time, Norm Van Brocklin, who their coach, their quarterback at the time, Fran Tarkenton, did not get along with. Crazy thing is, they were letting Tarkenton walk by trading him to the New York Giants after he had played from 1961 to 1966 with the Vikings from their inception. And so, because he didn't get along with Norm Van Brocklin. Van Brocklin was out the door and uh, they bring Bud Grant in the door and he's like, you know what, we need a quarterback <laughs> and uh, I would have liked to have friend target and stay and uh, we could we could probably do some special things well i mean at that time it was too late now friend targeted will return i believe in 1971 72 and uh with the vikings and of course the rest they say is history but in his place came another quarterback that also played in the canadian football league his name joseph robert garcia cap joe cap uh his mother was Mexican-American. His father was of German descent, and he was an all-American quarterback at Cal, at, you know, Cal Berkeley. Um, he took his team to the Rose Bowl in 1958 against Iowa, and that was the last time they actually made a Rose Bowl appearance, I believe. Uh, and then he also played basketball and uh, led, helped to lead the Bears, the Golden Bears, to a Pac, uh, Pac Coast Conference title. And then he ends up with the Minnesota Vikings. But before all this went down, he became a Canadian Football League star. He was actually drafted into the NFL, brought in in the 18th round by Washington. And crazy thing is, from what I read, I, and it said that he was never contacted. I don't know how true that actually was, but I'm just reporting what I actually read. And he was actually placed, he's listed as being a practice squad member. He went on to the CFL 
and he played for Calgary for two seasons in 59 and 60 before moving on to the BC Lions where he became a star. From 61 to 66, that same time when Fran Tarkenton was playing for the Minnesota Vikings, Joe Cap was a two-time CFL All-Star, an MVP in 1963, and Grey Cup champion in 1964. And he actually, his team played the Hamilton Tiger Cats back-to-back seasons. They lost in 63, but they got revenge and won it in 1964. So, 1967 rolls around. Grant needs a quarterback. They ended up signing Joe Cap to the Vikings. The 6'2", 205 quarterback. If you really want to think about uh, the way that his play was, he looked more like a linebacker playing quarterback. It's pretty interesting. But when you fast forward to 1968, you know, we always kind of get right there in that the beginning of the Super Bowl era. Uh, the 68 Colts, they were the team to beat. Remember, they were the greatest thing since sliced bread when they were upset in Super Bowl three by Joe Namath and the AFL's New York Jets, right? Well, you know, Cap, he has a really good season the next year. And then when the Colts lose and they actually don't make the playoffs the next year, it was the Minnesota Vikings in 1969 that came through with the NFL's best record. They were 12 and one. That year was Cap's best as a pro. 19 touchdown passes. And Cap actually, to note, he was one, uh, one quarterback of many that have tied the NFL record of throwing seven touchdown passes. And he did it uh, in a September game against the Baltimore Colts. So, you know, they move on just like Baltimore. They defeat the Cleveland Browns for the NFL title. And they move on to the Super Bowl. And he became the first Latino to take his team to a Super Bowl. It was Super Bowl four against the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you know your history, you know how that ended. It was not great. They lost 23-7 to seven, uh, to the to Hank Stram and, uh, and those Kansas City Chiefs. Great team. And the crazy thing is the, his, his style of play was one of those, yeah, just to describe it a little bit, you know, unlike a lot of players today, this is a guy... If you remember Joe Cap, he he was it was not pretty. It wasn't pretty the way that he did it. Like I said, he resembled a, a line a linebacker playing quarterback. He was uh, kind of like Brett Favre, wild, uh, scrambling around and taking on tacklers. Though you know, uh, not a classic quarterback. Threw an ugly ball, uh, but he was selfless and tough. If anybody remembers the forty for sixty, he actually won that season. I think it was the Vikings MVP. He said he couldn't accept it. The speech, you can see it on YouTube or on NFL.com. And he talked about how, look, is, there's 40 Vikings, uh, most valuable Vikings. I can't accept this alone. 40 for 60 minutes. And that's what that was the mantra. He was a selfless guy. Uh, and he played with multiple injuries, cracked ribs, uh, had what um, uh, punctured lungs, torn knees, separated shoulder, you name it. And the crazy thing is, is that in that Super Bowl, he actually uh, got hurt during that game. I don't even think he finished, to be honest with you, in the fourth quarter. But he had a separated shoulder in that game. Uh, but uh, it, it was it was it was wild. But the guy was a winner uh, for the short time that he was in the NFL, uh, and he only played four seasons. Here's what happened with him: 
crazy part is, is that he was actually released by the Minnesota Vikings uh, and ended up with the New England Patriots in 1970. And apparently, this wasn't, and, and the Patriots went 2-12 that season. So apparently, there was something with the contract that wasn't right. And I'll explain here in a second. And this is according to Richard Goldstein's article in the New York Times, and I quote, having already been involved in a contract dispute with the Patriots, Cap refused to sign a standard player's contract for the 1971 season. And he quit the team in July. Then he filed an antitrust suit against the NFL. A jury declined to award him damages, but the case represented an early challenge in players' ultimately successful struggle to win free agency rights. So remember, these players were kind of like stuck. They really were. They were stuck where they, and I'm surprised they allowed him to move on to the Patriots, but they kind of like wanted to say that the contract he signed, I guess for lack of a better way to say it was, uh, it, it was not void, but they was trying to say it wasn't right. And so Roselle said, look, I mean, you 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 can't, they made him re restructure his contract and sign in, in a different way. There wasn't free agency as we know it. They weren't trying to allow players to move around. And he was one of them, which this is the reason why his career was cut short. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, the guy was put in the College Football Hall of Fame, in the CFL Hall of Fame. Uh, he also, after his career was over as an NFL player, he was the head coach at Cal. Went back to Cal Berkeley, was the head coach from 1982 to 1986. And consequently, well, not consequently, I mean, they, they weren't good. Let's just say that. They, they, they never could get, get over the hump. I don't think they even had a 500 season. But he was the head coach that first year in 1982. They played against Stanford and John Elway. He was a part of the play. You know, when the band runs out onto the field and you had the five laterals and the Cal Bears win on that crazy touchdown on the return. Yeah, that was it. So in 1971, Joe Cap walks away from the team in July. NFL draft comes along and they got to replace him. So, uh, but after he leaves football, yes, he does coach in, in college in the 80s, but even throughout his career, he actually has a list of acting credits, 28 to be exact. And he was actually in The Longest Yard, the original, in 1974. But while he's doing this acting and everything, well, the Patriots need a quarterback. And they replace him with Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback from Stanford, Jim Plunkett. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> they, they replace him with Jim Plunkett. Jim Plunkett, another Mexican-American. And both of his plant parents, I had no idea that both of his parents were blind. I think his father uh, had to work to support his already blind mother. And I think he eventually lost his sight completely or something like that. But uh, another Pacific Coast Conference quarterback, he was the number one pick in the 1971 draft because of that 2-12 record. They got the first pick. And uh, Plunkett actually started off pretty good, and he was obviously talented. He won Rookie of the Year uh, in 1971. They only had a 6-8 and eight record. He throws 19 touchdowns. He throws for over 2,100 yards. 73, he actually finished second in the NFL in passing yards. In 74, uh, New England is second in scoring offensively. They scored 348 points. 75, he, uh, he has a separated shoulder. 
and uh, Coy Bacon. That was courtesy of San Diego's defensive end, Coy Bacon. Um, in an exhibition game of all things, and then rookie uh, Steve Grogan, who they drafted, we know New England fans know that this guy was a quarterback there for 16 years. So, you know, he got his start there. Um, and in 1976, he was traded to the San Francisco 49ers. And by 78, he was released. But it's to be noted that in New England, he played against, uh, well, behind some really bad offensive lines. It wasn't pretty. It really wasn't. But meanwhile, going all the way back to 1968, defensive tackle Manny Fernandez, another uh, Latino, 6'2", 250-pound defensive tackle, was undrafted out of the University of Utah. He ends up signing with the Miami Dolphins, a third-year franchise. And why was he undrafted? Well, you know, his college coach actually told scouts that he lacked the size and the talent to even play in the NFL. What kind of crap is that? I mean, that's that's not cool. That's not cool at all, man. Um, but I thought also, also thought that this was really crazy is that Miami actually signed him because of his Hispanic heritage. Thought he'd be good in the community. But the, they didn't really ask him uh, if he spoke. I guess you would assume, but they didn't ask him if he spoke fluent Spanish. He he couldn't speak any Spanish. He didn't, and he had bi- bad eyes. So I guess if he went through a combine, it's like, oh, this dude can't see because he wore Coke bottle glasses. Why? Because he had 2,200 vision yes i said 2200 but this guy was a beast on the field he really was especially in the super bowl um eight years with the no-name defense in miami and he's credited in his career with 35 sacks that's before they even took sacks as a stat um and that success came you know obviously after the arrival of don shula who lost in 1968 to the colts I mean, uh, to the Jets as the Colts head coach. And by 1970, he comes over as the Miami Dolphins coach. And three straight Super Bowl appearances by Miami. Miami. And he was the nose tackle. Manny Fernandez was the nose tackle that actually put everything into perspective. (laughs) You know, you had the no-name defense. You had Bill Stanford, uh, Stanfield, uh, uh, Nick Bonacani, and then Jake Scott. Many others. Jake Scott, you know, so Super Bowl performances, right? He should have won, in my opinion, or at least been co-MVPs in Super Bowl Seven, the undefeated season for Miami. Uh, the guy had 17 tackles and a sack in that game. How do you not? Uh, I mean, you know what I mean? I think Jake Scott got away with two interceptions, and uh, the, I think the last one stopped uh, a really deep drive by Washington. And, um, I mean, I just – I, just, you know, I know they don't pay that much attention to defensive linemen like that all the time. At least they didn't. Uh, and I may be just just beside myself in saying that. But 17 tackles. I mean, I know it wasn't glamorous, but he had 17 tackles as a nose guard. 17. And if you look at his Super Bowl numbers, they went back again to Super Bowl eight, right? So in six, when they lost to Dallas, six tackles a sack in the fumble recovery. Super Bowl seven, just name it, 17 tackles and a sack. Super Bowl eight, five tackles and a sack. And then, you know, 28 tackles in three Super Bowls, three sacks and the fumble recovery. So, I mean, the guy was 
productive, and he was productive during the regular season as well. So, and I think the other thing that was really crazy is that the guy grew up in Oakland and was a Raiders fan. I had no idea. I had no idea. In 1975, Manny retires after that 75 season, and Plunkett, he's traded again, you know, like in 76, released by 78. The Oakland Raiders signed Plunkett off of waivers for 100 bucks to be the backup for Dan Pastorini, who he was acquired in the trade. They send Ken Stabler packing to the Houston Oilers in exchange for Pastorini, who had just come off of back-to-back playoff appearances, the only two playoff appearances of his career as a starting quarterback. Of course, they lost both of those to Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, But uh, what's ironic is that the 71 draft, both Plunkett and Pastorini were involved in that. Plunkett with one, Eli, oh, excuse me, Eli, Archie Manning with number two, and Pastorini went three. That was supposed to be the year of the quarterback at that time. So the top three picks, all quarterbacks, one, two, three. But week five, and this is after only throwing five passes in, in what, two years. He didn't throw any, I think, in 1978, 79. He got in and threw five. That was it. And he was a frustrated backup quarterback who was a number one pick. He wanted to play. And he believed that he still could play. Well, Pastorini breaks his leg uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs at home. And I, from what I read and heard is that the fans booed because they weren't really happy with Pastorini. Remember, they had Snake as their quarterback for the last couple of years. They won a Super Bowl with Snake. And they're not really <laughs> liking this guy too tough, right? And so uh, they want to see the former number one pick come in, right? They know who Jim Plunkett is. And from Gene Upshaw, the, the famous uh, Hall of Fame guard from Oakland and one of the leaders of the team, he said, look, we've seen this guy play and he's beaten us before. So you have that dynamic. He comes in and instead of putting Mark Rielsen in, uh, who was a first round quarterback that was selected in that 1980 draft, they put they went with the experienced veteran Jim Plunkett. They finished the season 11-5 under their second-year head coach, Tom Flores, another Hispanic. Yeah, well, this guy has a history with the Raiders before he became the head coach, and he made history with the Raiders, who in the AFL, they were established in 1960. Tom Flores was the first Hispanic quarterback in NFL history, in professional football history. And the guy played six years with Oakland, made a Pro Bowl, two years with Buffalo, he threw for over 11,000 yards, nearly 12,000 yards, and 93 touchdowns as a quarterback. By 71, he's an assistant wire, or assistant coach as a wide receivers coach with the Buffalo Bills. Then he moves on to the Raiders in the same capacity, and he stays in that role from 72 to 78. He's coaching guys like Cliff Branch and Fred Boletnikoff. That's pretty good company, right? Well, John Madden retires, and he's there for the Super Bowl 11 ring. He's got a ring from that 1970, those 76 Raiders. Um, and, and Madden retires after the 79 season. And, you know, Al Davis says, all right, Tom, you're the man. They become, they get, to, they get to the playoffs. Flores and Plunkett, they're in the playoffs as a wild card. Again, they finish 11 and five. They beat the Oilers. And then if, for those Cleveland fans, I know this hurts, but that thriller, the mistake by the Lakers, Red right 88 game, 
They win that one 14 to 12. Great game. We're going to talk about that at some point. And then they beat the San Diego Chargers in the AFC Championship game. Super Bowl 15, more history being made, Hispanic history being made. Plunkin and for, for, uh, Flores, they become, well, Flores, the first Hispanic head coach to reach the Super Bowl. Plunkett, the second quarterback behind Joe Cap to reach the Super Bowl. And Plunkett becomes the first one to win one. Plunkett wins MVP, throws three touchdowns, 261 yards, and then has a then Super Bowl record 80-yard touchdown pass to running back Kenny King. And they avenge their Week 12 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles by beating Dick Vermeil's team 27-10 in New Orleans. Three years later, they repeat it. They beat down Washington, another revenge game. They lost to Washington in week five in a back and forth, uh, you know, high scoring game. They beat Washington 38 to nine. It was a beat down of epic proportions down there in Tampa. Wow, wow, wow. Plunkett, you know, he started most of that season. He's 10 and three for the 12 and four Raiders that season. They were the best in the AFC and the, you know, the Washington football team, they were the best in the NFC. And they got their third ring. The Raiders brought home their third ring. Plunkett retires in 1986. Flores, he's a 16-year coach for the Raiders. And in three years with Seattle. And uh, he retires after the 94 season. At one point, he was the GM for the Seattle Seahawks. I'm not sure if he was the first Latino to be a GM. I think that's possible. I don't want to tell any lies. But when you look back at it, um, Tom Flores, uh, he, he was he was he was really great. 83 wins, and he's his 83 regular season wins was second only behind John Madden in Raiders his history and uh, three-time Super Bowl champ. And uh, he also was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2021. Plunkett won Comeback Player of the Year in 1980 and two-time Super Bowl champ again. And the crazy thing is, he's the only quarterback in NFL history to have started and won two rings and as well as MVP and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Of course, you know, he made no Pro Bowls. He was never an All-Pro. His winning percentage, I think, was sub 500 and he didn't have that success until he got to the Raiders his last couple years, last seven years in the league was when he was at his best. Um, could he be a Hall of Famer? I don't know. I don't know. And the crazy thing is, Manny Fernandez, same thing. He never made a Pro Bowl. As great as Manny Fernandez was for the Miami Dolphins, I thought the guy was all pro at least once. Nope, never. He never made it. He never, ever made it. And it may have been, you know, I don't know, overshadowing. Because if you look at the Miami Dolphins defense, I think the only one that really was a consummate may have been like Nick Bonacani and probably... Jake Scott, um, but I mean, I can't really call anybody right off the top of my head that were all pros and pro bowlers on that defense. I'm sure that there were some, but Manny was not one of them, and that is surprising. But, you know, we go back to that 1980 draft, um, that same 1980 draft, well, the Cincinnati Bengals selected Anthony Munoz third overall as a tackle out of Southern Cal. And while Jim Prunkett, he's throwing five passes in two years, Munoz <laughs> was an All-American offensive tackle at USC. That same 80 draft where the Raiders selected Mark Wilson, Munoz was selected third overall, yeah, but by 1981, the Raiders 
They would not repeat as Super Bowl champs, but the new AFC representative in the Super Bowl would be playing the 49ers, and that was the Cincinnati Bengals in Super Bowl 16. Munoz was selected to the first in the 81 season of 11 straight Pro Bowls in his 13-year career. Not to mention, he won NFL Offensive Lineman of the Year that year and NFLPA Offensive Lineman of the Year four times in his career as well. Uh, that's according to Pro Football um, Hall of Fame.com. And then also according to that same website, there were concerns that Munoz was an injury risk. You know, being selected that high and, I, you know, coming out of college. But I think it was because, well... It has something to do with him not finishing the game his senior year due to injury. Yet he was still an All-American, you know, so, you know, he, he never finished an entire game. But, look, from 1980 to 1990, he started 164 out of 168 games and only missed three in his entire career due to injury. Again, 13 years with the Bengals, two Super Bowl appearances. They made it again in 1988. Lost to San Francisco again. You know, again, 11 straight Pro Bowls, and he was an All-Pro, first-team All-Pro, nine times. Yes, nine times. And he even caught seven passes and scored four touchdowns as an offensive tackle in his career. So, I mean, he was, what, 6'6", uh, 278? So, I mean, he was a big tight end. Yeah, but he was a great offensive tackle. And he's one of 90 players selected in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in their first year of eligibility at that time, and he's in the class of 1988. He's Super Bowl performers, man. You know, and even though the Bengals never won, he never got him one, they got the two, and that's not easy. That's it. References, thanks to ESPN.com, ProFootballReference.com, and also ProFootballHallOfFame.com. The New York Times, I've got two articles. The first one, Joe Cap quarterback who led Vikings to Super Bowl four dies at 85 that written by Richard Goldstein May 9th 2023 also Patriots Plunkett injured will be out for three weeks this was the Associated Press and this was September 8th 1975 also Miami's community news Manny Fernandez calling Miami's underrated no name this written by Jay Rao July 6th 2022 also, a couple of books, America's Game, The NFL at 100, co-written by Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams, and also a new one, Undefeated, Inside the Miami Dolphins' Perfect Season. This one written by Mike Freeman, and then a couple of NFL Network, uh, some of my favorite series, America's Game, the Super Bowl, these two of them, the story of the 1980 Oakland Raiders, and 1972 Miami Dolphins and finally my eyes ears and brain this has been the behind the mic podcast I am your host again Michael Neal Jr. this show is presented by both Belly Up Sports and Belly Up Media Belly Up Sports Podcast Network BellyUpSports.com go to our website click on it check out all the articles and the, and the stories and the merch and our shows especially this one and also, you can catch us all on our home base of Megaphone and the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about this show or I will find your house. I'm out.